Well, good morning, church. Let's pray, and uh, we'll dive into Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> God, our hearts this morning are uh, burdened and, Lord, honestly sickened by uh, the events taking place in Charlottesville over the last couple of days. And, uh, God, we lament with our brothers and sisters around the country who are filled with um, with frustration, with anger, with uh, just a burden. And so, God, as your church, Lord, we mourn with those who mourn uh, this morning. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be a church that stands for what is right, even when it's uncomfortable. God, that you would help us to um, think more clearly about uh, Jesus and about the church and the call of the gospel as it relates to um, different ethnicities. Or thank you for the clear picture of Ephesians chapter 2 about what the church is all about, what the church should look like. And so God, would you, would you help us this morning have a better grasp of, of that reality? And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to marvel, to be filled with awe this morning about your church Lord, I pray that you would dust off the familiarity uh, as it relates to, to, the, to the church and to the gospel. So God, fill us afresh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, do you believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending church? Based on a study on spirituality in America, sociologists discovered that 81% of Americans said yes to that question. So you got 81% of Americans who believe that you can be a good Christian, that you can grow, that you can be a follower of Jesus, and yet not attend a church. Now, in that same study, they also discovered that spiritual interest is at an all-time high. So you've got, on one hand, people have a low view of the church, a low view of belonging to the church, low value of the church, and yet, on the other hand, people are very curious about what it means to follow Jesus, about uh, spiritual things, about who God is. Another uh, startling data point is the increase in loneliness and the negative effects on our health. According to several studies, the health impact of loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That loneliness increases the odds of early mortality by 26%. That's the same risk as chronic obesity. There's one individual in this, in this study, a secular study, uh, who participated in this study, who said something very, very interesting. He said, it's hard to come to grips with being lonely. I thought, that's not me. I'm not lonely. I'm gregarious. I have family all around me all the time, or I'm around friends at work or elsewhere. I comment on their Facebook posts, and they comment on mine. My wife and I also have other couples we like and see often. It's easy to fall into the trap of believing that that's good enough, and yet it feels like there's more that we need. So it's very interesting what's taking place in our country. Got this enormous interest in spiritual things, this low view of the church, and yet this increase in loneliness and, and really kind of the increase in superficial connections due to social media. And, and then you have the increase of, of, of the, the health impacts that loneliness provides. And you look at all of that, and you have to take a step back and, and conclude that without a doubt, you and I have been created with a yearning to belong to a group of people and to connect on the level, not on the surface, but to connect at the soul level. 
See, what the, the secular world is starting to discover is what the Bible has made extremely clear, that this sense of togetherness, the sense of, of belonging to a group of people, of being valued in community is extremely vital to our well-being. And that's not just physiologically true or sociologically true, that is biblically true as well. And yet, like something's interesting that is taking place in the church because more and more people, even within the church, even members of the church, even people who are involved in, in a half dozen different ministries also are resonating with a, a certain degree of loneliness. And so I don't want you to hear this morning that the answer to loneliness is just become a member of a church, or uh, your answer to loneliness is to be involved in all kinds of different ministries. But what I'm proposing for us this morning is that the answer to our loneliness and the answer to wanting to belong is found in this idea of being united in Christ and what that means as far as being united to the people of God. So the answer is not just attend church or show up at church, but the answer is how are we to function within the church as the people of God? And so today we are in our second week in this new sermon series that we're uh, looking at in the month of August called Following Jesus uh, Together. We're looking at uh, this sermon series. We're looking at our mission statement, which is igniting a passion uh, to follow Jesus. And basically, that's our, that's our target as a church. We want people to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. We, we want there to be this white-hot passion for Jesus because if that exists in a person's life, everything else will revolve around Jesus. And we want to be that kind of church. And so these last three weeks in August, including today, we're going to be looking at our strategy as a church of how to accomplish that mission. And basically, our strategy as a church can be summarized in three words. Uh, We want to belong, grow, and multiply. And I'll be unpacking each of those uh, uh, ideas in the next couple of weeks. But today's emphasis is on the idea of belonging and what that means for us as a church. Now, our passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, will help us unpack that. And so before we jump in today, I want you to look at this big idea that will help kind of anchor us um, in the text. Here's the big idea for this morning. Our big idea is that our vertical hopelessness and the horizontal hostility and spiritual homelessness is addressed in belonging to God and to one another. And so if you notice in that big idea, there are three problems that Paul will address in our passage. This vertical hopelessness, horizontal hostility, and spiritual homelessness. And what Paul does in our passage is he shows us how the redemptive work of Christ has created two realities. That one reality is being united in Jesus. And so by being united in Jesus, we are therefore united to one another, and Paul uses that to address these three problems. Now, Paul's argument in Ephesians so far, and specifically in the first part of chapter 2, has been centered on the gospel. That Paul just got done explaining the, the beautiful power of the saving gospel, how we've been saved from something to something. We've been saved from wrath uh, to do good works. And so Paul has unpacked this, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And now in our passage, Paul is going to articulate what the gospel produces, 
that the gospel doesn't just save us, but the gospel actually produces a unified people called the church. And he does so. He's going to address these three problems. So let's look at uh, problem number one, uh, vertical hopelessness. Verses 11 through 13. Let's read the first uh, couple verses of our passage. Paul says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." And so look, in, in these first couple of verses, specifically in verses 11 through 12, uh, Paul is, is kind of unpacking here who we used to be before Christ saved us. And, and he talks about this idea of Gentiles, basically anybody who was not Jewish, he's kind of lumping into this same category. And he, he's basically explaining our condition in four different ways. That number one, we were the uncircumcised people, the Gentiles were, and the Jews called them that. Because when you were circumcised, you were basically uh, having a physical sign of belonging to God. So number one, we were uncircumcised. Number two, our vertical hopelessness is being articulated here by being separated from Christ in verse 12. And then number three, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning that the chosen people and the citizenship of Israel did not describe us or define us. And then number four... He says that you were strangers to his covenant and to his promises. Now, Paul is, is explaining all of this, and twice, in verses 11 through 12, he's saying, remember this. Remember that this is what you used to be, that you were outside looking in, that you were unprivileged, that you were alienated, that you were separated from Christ. And you look at this description, and you conclude, this is vertical hopelessness. This is what it looks like to be spiritually lonely and isolated. And I think part of the reason why Paul is telling us twice to remember this is because we all struggle from spiritual amnesia. We all struggle from, from spiritual forgetfulness. We struggle from like remembering who we used to be before Christ saved us and what Christ has done for us in order for us to belong to him and to his family. And I think the danger of spiritual forgetfulness is that it leads us to taking all the things that Jesus has done for us for granted. See, remembering, this spiritual act of remembering leads to thankfulness, that it leads to, to worship, it leads to delight, it kind of wakes up our desires and our affections for Jesus. And so Paul's helping us to say, look, you need to remember who you used to be but also what Christ has done for you to cause you to belong to him. Look at verse 13 with me about how Paul addresses our vertical hopelessness. He says in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think Paul like, uses maybe the most powerful words in Scripture here. But now. What Paul is saying here is that you used to be lost. 
You used to be outside of God's grace. You used to be dead in your sins. You used to not belong to God. But now something has happened to move you from being on the outside to now being on the inside, being part of God's family. But now you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Like, but now you now have hope. You now are inside God's family, and he's using that to address our vertical hopelessness. Now, this whole idea of being brought near to Christ is caught up in, I think, the most important prepositional phrase in all of Scripture, and it has everything to do with being in Christ. Being in Christ, is, it gets at this, this unity that we have with Jesus, that being in Christ means that you've been united in Christ, that you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. This is perhaps maybe the most important doctrine, the doctrine of our union with Jesus that we have. In fact, John Calvin, one of the reformers in the 16th century, described our union with Christ this way. He said, being in Christ is the highest degree of importance. For this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may be become ours and that we may be engrafted into his body. There's a high view of the doctrine of Christ. Now, how does this address this first problem of, of this vertical hopelessness? Well, John Piper, uh, John Piper describes our union with Christ this way. He says, what this phrase in Christ means is that when you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord and treasure... A union is established between Christ and you in such a way that everything in Christ that can be shared will be shared with you. That everything that he is and everything that he has that can be shared will be shared with you. And there's only one thing that can't be shared, his deity and its unique God-defining attributes like his omnipotence and his omniscience. But everything else that Christ is and has is yours in him. And look, this especially matters because of his righteousness and his perfection that is ours because we are in Christ. We are now hidden in Jesus according to Colossians chapter 3. And I love how Paul uh, articulates this elsewhere in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about our union with Jesus. That he says, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So what Paul is saying here is that you who were once outside, you are now on the inside. You now belong to him. You are in Christ and there is a union by faith so that all that Jesus is, he is for you. This is like, this is like mind-blowing. Like, it's simply breathtaking that you're not just loved by God, but you are treated exactly and in the same way as God treats Jesus. Look, this is, this addresses our vertical hopelessness and actually provides the foundation for what it means to belong to one another in the church and in the family of God. We are now on the inside. So that's the first problem that Paul addresses. Number two is our horizontal hostility in verses 14 uh, through 18. So verse 14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
So verse 14, Paul tells us that Jesus is our peace and that he's done something. And specifically, he's, he's broken down this dividing wall of hostility. Now, it's interesting because as Paul wrote this, there was this literal physical wall, this 10-foot wall made up of stone that was in the Jewish temple. And in the Jewish mind, basically this, what, what this stone represented, in fact, it literally read this on the top of it. It said, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's on the top of this wall in the temple of God. See, in the Jewish mind, they they had this wall made up of because they're trying to separate the good from the bad, trying to separate the clean from the unclean, those that belonged and those that do not belong. And look, now, I'll just stop right there and just uh, maybe admit to us, I think we can all acknowledge the reality that, that we might be politically correct enough not to have a literal 10-foot wall saying those types of things. And yet, each and every one of us, just naturally, we have our own relational walls in our own minds that we put up as it relates to other people. We kind of stiff-arm other people, and, and we have these walls for different reasons, And it may not be because Jew and Gentile, but we might have our own version of our walls that we build up, maybe based on race. Maybe if someone doesn't look exactly like me, I put a wall up. Or or maybe it's based on education level. That if someone's not uh, as as highly educated as myself, I'm going to put up a relational wall with them. Or maybe it's based on how much money someone has, or, or it's based on a personality that they're not outgoing, or they're not, they're not fun to be around, so I'm going to put up a wall here. Or maybe it's based on life stage, that, man, this person's not in my life stage, so they, they don't really understand what, like, what my life is all about, so I'm going to put up a wall here. Look, we, we do this in our day. We don't have a physical wall, but we have walls in our minds and in our hearts uh, towards other people. And so the question I have for you is, like, who, who do you naturally bond with? Like, who do you have like, kind of a natural kinship with? Who, who do you look at, and as you meet them, causes you to kind of relax, where, where you kind of say to yourself, ah, like, this, this is my person. These are my people. Like, who, who are your people? Who, who is your tribe? Who are the people that you kind of feel safe with, that you accept, and that you allow to belong in your life? Is it people that, that primarily are made up of the, the same skin color as you? Is it people who primarily make the same amount of money as you or the same education or the same interests as you? And who do you determine as like the other, the people that you don't feel safe with or the people that, that you don't want to belong with or want to accept? <clears throat> See, there's, there's nothing wrong with with natural affinities. I don't want you to hear that. But what tends to happen in the church is that we, we take these natural affinities and, and we erect these, these walls. We put up these walls that cause cliques within the church. It causes division within the church that, that the blood of Jesus actually uh, was, was spilled in order to demolish the, the horizontal hostility, the, the relational walls that we all put up. Look, just to be very clear, this is exactly why the events that are taking place in Charlottesville is wrong, that, that it's sinful, that, that it's not okay, that the white supremacy that's taking place, even around the country, it is sinful. And I think as the people of God, we need to acknowledge that publicly and say that that is not okay. 
And that actually goes against what the blood of Jesus is trying to destroy. And so as we understand like the, the relational walls, what we have to understand underneath that is that in Christ, there is only one category of people. Like, yes, we have all of these things that, that we like to do, all, th- all these things in common, but the one category of people is that we are all sinners. Like, we were all before God, outside of God, but now because of Jesus, we now belong into the family of God. And so if you notice here, the way that Paul addresses our loneliness is he's addressing it by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And Paul is saying, live in that reality. Stop putting up relational walls that make it difficult for others to belong. That's Paul's point here. Now, Jesus has demolished this wall of, of horizontal hostility by, according to verse 15, he's removed the old covenant. And the old covenant declared that Jews and Gentiles had to be separated, that the Gentiles were unclean. And so Jesus has removed that, and now he has made one people out of two. There is one unified people of God as he is uniting all things to himself. Even verse 16, Paul's very blunt. He says, look, we've been reconciled both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, the question is for us today is, okay, if that's what Jesus has done on the cross, that's what he has made available, how do we as the people of God live in that reality? Like, how do we live and and tear down those relational walls? I think we first need to understand that loneliness or this sense of not belonging is at its root a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Yet so often, we try to define loneliness in physical or emotional terms. We try to define loneliness or not belonging as the absence of people or the absence of community. And so we have this loneliness issue. We've got this, this sense of not belonging. And so we say to ourselves, man, I need more people in my life. I need more, more ministries to be plugged into. And when that doesn't work, we we think to ourselves, well, I need better people in my life. I need more considerate people in my life. I need people who are more loving, and on and on we go. And yet that doesn't quite complete the full picture, because loneliness is not just the absence of people or community. Loneliness is also the presence of pain. It's, It's the presence of pain, being separated from other people, and even being separated from God. And so as we think about loneliness and this idea of belonging, I want us to avoid trying to look to fulfill our loneliness in other people first as it relates to finding our identity in Christ. See, so often we look to other people, what only God can provide for us. And so addressing this idea of loneliness, we have to get at the root issue, which is our union in Christ, so we, we sense the symptoms coming out in our loneliness, and so we, we go to the horizontal people to fulfill that and to address that issue. When Paul is saying, first understand what it means to be united in Christ, and as a result, you are then united to other people. See, we've got this horizontal issue that first needs to be addressed with who we are in Jesus. So understand this, your union with Christ not only addresses this vertical hopelessness, it also addresses this horizontal hostility with others. And it's because of what Jesus has created. 
He's created this interwoven unity of all members into one body. I guess another way of looking at that is, is, is if each of us have a relationship with Christ, we are therefore in relationship to each other. That, that you can't compartmentalize, here's my relationship with Christ, and relationships with other people is optional, or it's different, or, or it's just there if I want it. No, if you're in Christ, you are therefore in his body and in relationship with other people. And so if, if I'm Christ's brother biblically, and if you're a female in Christ today, you are Christ's sister. And what that means biblically even more so is that you're my sister, that we actually belong together in this family because of what Christ is creating. And then you look at verse 18, and Paul says that we now both have access to God, our Father, through one Spirit. And so that reality, follow this, actually creates this new category of how we interact with one another. Okay, so, so being in the family of God is not just, okay, we, we've got brothers and sisters and we worship together on Sunday. No, 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 this actually determines how we interact with one another. See, what Paul is saying here is that you now have something in common spiritually that the world cannot touch. You have something that is much more intimate and, 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 more, and more deep than what the world can actually offer as it relates to intimacy in our relationships, that we have been justified together. We have been forgiven together. We are loved by God together, and we will live together forever for the praise of, of God's glory forever, on and on. Those are the things that we share in common and so this idea of loneliness can take place in the church when all we do is interact with each other on the surface, where we talk about what we have in common on the surface. You're a Colts fan. I'm a Colts fan. Let's talk about that. Or you change diapers all day long. I change diapers all day long. Let's only talk about that. When Paul is saying there is something deeper here that actually unites the people of God that we should be connecting and relating with that creates a deeper intimacy and a deeper satisfaction that the world cannot touch. You see how the union of Christ and union with one another actually addresses this horizontal problem. And look, you, I think you've experienced the same thing I have. Like when you, when you go out to coffee with somebody and, and you talk about like the Colts or you talk about like the latest movie that you saw and you're laughing and that's kind of all that you talk about and, and you walk out of that meeting, you're going to conclude, man, that was, a, that, was a fun, that was a fun time. Like that was cool. Like we got to talk about something we have in common. And yet, if you have coffee with somebody and you talk about how you're enjoying Jesus what you're learning spiritually, what you're learning from the word, and, and you're praying for one another, and you're talking about the spiritual realities that you have in common, you're going to walk out of that meeting with a deeper satisfaction and a deeper fulfillment because that's what it means to be united to the family of God, that you're actually connecting and belonging on a deeper level. I think when we understand that and we actually live out that reality that Jesus has made possible on the cross, our church will continue to be a place where people can belong. Now, does that describe your small group today? Does that describe the, the, the Bible study that you're in where you're not just connecting on the surface, but you're connecting at the soul level? Does that describe your discipleship relationship? Or does that describe your marriage? 
with your spouse? Are, are you getting beneath just existing as roommates? Are you getting into each other's souls at the spiritual level? Does that describe the, the friends that you have or, or your roommates? And I think as it relates to our mission of what it means to, to belong together as we ignite a passion to follow Jesus is we want the type of environment where people can belong here. Like we want the type of environment where people feel welcomed here and that there's a place, there's a seat for them at the table at College Park Fishers. Like, like we want to remove these, these relational and these horizontal walls so that the woman who walks in here, who's, who's on her fifth marriage and she's met Jesus and she's united in Christ can say, I belong here. There's a place for me. I feel welcomed here. Or the man who walks in here who's, who's been an alcoholic who's been addicted to pornography and yet he's met Jesus and he's united in Jesus, walks in here and says, I can belong here. I feel at home here. I feel welcomed here. We want that type of environment at College Park Fishers. We don't want kind of this more holy than thou and we stiff arm people who have issues because understand this, we all have issues. Like we all have things that we are battling, that we are wrestling with. And so we want to create this type of environment where people can belong. And that's really what each of us crave. Like each of us, we crave acceptance, don't we? Like we crave looking someone in the eyes and having them say, you're welcomed here. Like you, you belong here. There's a place for you here. Is, is that... Is that true of us here? Is that, is that true of you as you engage with people on Sunday mornings and, and throughout the week where you're, you're not putting up relational walls, you're, you're not stiff-arming people, but you're creating an atmosphere where people can feel welcomed here and where they can belong? When we create that type of atmosphere, that type of belonging, this horizontal hostility is removed and we start living in this reality that Paul is describing. Now, number three, this third problem that is addressed, it has to do with the spiritual homelessness. That our union with Christ and our union with one another does create a spiritual home for believers. Look at these last couple of verses, starting in verse 19. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord." In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now notice what our union in Christ and our union with one another has created. It's created a spiritual home for believers. He says in verse 19 that we are no longer strangers and aliens. We're no longer homeless spiritually, but we now belong in the family or the household of God. And if you notice here that Paul also inserts another helpful analogy to describe our union with God. He talks about this house of God or this temple that's being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus being the cornerstone. And if you remember our study in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter describes believers as living stones for the house of God. 
I think Peter's vision here, as it relates to to how we interact with one another within the, the house of God as we participate in this family, is that we are joined together and we actually grow in our relationship with the Lord. Now, did you catch verse 22? That should have kind of like taken you aback. That he says that we we are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. (laughs) Is that amazing reality? Like as the people of God gather together and they're joined together and we're growing, the Spirit of God dwells here. Like God is here. He is present And like, this is why it is so important to gather together as the people of God on Sundays consistently, that that it's not okay just to come whenever you feel like it or to come once a month or or to have other excuses for not coming because you're missing at what God is doing on Sunday mornings. You're missing the fact that God's spirit resides here in a unique and a special way that's different than watching the live stream in your living room. There's something that's taking place here that is so much more supernatural and so much more unique than just you and your Bible at Starbucks or, or you and, and, your, and your Bible and another friend. There is something going on here that is deeper. And it's not because the, the people on stage are talented at all, but it's because God's spirit is here. So as we looked at last week, how involved in the church should you be? How often should you participate? Well, how active do you want the Spirit of God to be moving in your life because He is here dwelling among us? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been here on Sunday mornings and, and I'm singing or I'm sitting under the preaching of God's Word and God just brings like a word of encouragement to my heart. Or, or God, God convicts me of something and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, like something's going on here that, that's deeper than what any, anything else I could experience throughout the week. And it's because God is here and he is at work in a unique and a special way. And the beauty of this is that each of us are stones, that we have this amazing work of the Trinity here. Did you catch that? Like, like the Trinity, each member of them view this as so important that they are active in building God's church. Like you have the Father, who's the architect. You have Jesus, who's the foundation or the cornerstone. And you've got the Spirit of God, who is the builder. And so you and I, as believers, join together in this church. We, each of us are, are stones within this building where the Spirit of God resides. And I'll tell you a little secret this morning, is that as we are living stones— each of us have rough edges. Like each of us have issues in our lives. We all have sin that needs to be smoothed out as we join together and as we grow being part of the people of God belonging to this church. And so you have this really intimate picture of what it means to be the people of God and what it means to belong, that this is the house of God, that this isn't a hotel, this isn't an, an Airbnb or, or some apartment where you're there for a couple weeks and then you leave and you move on to the next one. Like th- this is a house of God that demands our commitment and demands us to center our lives around. And this is why that we're, we're just so passionate about membership here. Like membership is, is this formalized official way of saying, I'm committed to this group of people and, and I'm not leaving when it gets hard. 
Like when my edges start to get smoothed out and my sin gets confronted by the word of God, like I'm not going to bounce. I'm not going to move on to another church because membership is so important, being part of the, the people of God so that you're not in and out. And so I wonder if, if you're here today and, and you would say that, that there's some degree of loneliness in your life, I, I wonder, have you taken that step and become a member of College Park Fishers? Have you taken that step where you've said, I want to be committed to this group of people under the leadership here of this church where I'm cared for, where I'm encouraged, where my needs are being met, and where I can exercise my gifts in a formal way? And look, maybe you're here today and and you are a member, and you do go to this church every week and you're involved in a half dozen ministries, and yet there's still this lingering reality of loneliness in your heart I just want to challenge you today. Are, are you going deep in your relationships? Are you connecting with people at the soul level, not just what you might have in common on the surface? It's not about having like a, a, a bunch of different relationships. It's about the quality and the depth of relationships that you have because of what you have in common spiritually. And then Paul goes on and and we don't have time to get to chapter 3. I wish, we, I wish we did this morning, but I just want to read one verse in chapter 3, verse 10, that is absolutely astounding about the role of the church. And Paul says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like, what has God chosen to display his glory and his wisdom to the satanic powers and to the watching world? It's the church. It's this beautiful mess, this group of people who are all sinners. God has determined in his great wisdom to make known his great name and his glory to a watching world. Like, man, if, if I'm God, like, I'm, I'm probably selecting a beautiful mountain to do that. Or I'm selecting like, like the waves or the ocean or something that's beautiful. But the church, like a, a people that, that have sin and have issues and have disagreements, like, like how in the world does that take place? Well, I think it takes place when we display our union with one another because we've been united in Christ. See, a group of people who gather together based off one culture is not miraculous, like that happens at any football game or, or any political rally or, or any type of concert. That, there's nothing supernatural about that. But when you get a group of people who have very little in common except for a common experience of grace, that is what the watching world says, I, I don't understand that. Like tell me more. Like how, how do you have a group of people who basically have nothing in common but Jesus and yet you love each other? And yet you care for each other, you're, you're encouraging each other, you're for one another. Like, what is this thing? Like, that is what we're signing up for as members of this church. That's what it means to belong because our response is, yeah, we, we belong to Jesus. And therefore, we belong to one another. And so this morning, as we close, I just want to ask you just a very uh, general question. But like, what, what is your next step today? Like, what is your next step in becoming more, uh, more part of this church and belonging to the people of God here? And, and maybe as your mind is kind of racing, I just want to give you five suggestions, five possible next steps of what it means to belong at College Park Fishers. Number one is, is to belong to Christ in salvation. 
Like maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, and you're hearing about all of this, and yet I have to tell you that this doesn't apply to you unless you are first a Christian, unless you are in Christ, that you might be here and verses 11 and 12 define you and describe you. And yet, I want, you, I want to encourage you to look at verse 13, that verse 13 is available to you by faith, that you can belong into God's family by putting your trust and your faith and turning from your sins, trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, that only Jesus can provide this type of salvation because of what he made possible on the cross that he took your penalty, he took your sin, he absorbed the wrath of God. I want to encourage you this morning, if you haven't taken that step, to not leave this place without putting your faith and your trust in Jesus because you can't belong to the church unless you first belong to Jesus. That's step number one. Number two is belong to one another in church membership. Now verse uh, 19 declares that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul is saying that, that there is such a thing as a saint, a Christian, and there's such a thing as a member of the household of God, the church. Now, how in the world does the church determine who's a Christian, who's a saint? You know, because 99% of Hamilton County claims to be a Christian. Have you noticed that? Like, so many people just automatically say that they're a Christian, and, and we know that's simply not true based on how they're living. And so the way that the church says, yes, you are a card-carrying Christian, you represent Jesus to the world, that is done through church membership. That's done through hearing your testimony, through uh, being baptized, and, and hearing that you have really converted in your faith in Jesus. That's part of the, the beautiful uh, reality of membership, is that your testimony gets affirmed. Because everybody's claiming to be a Christian, and we know that that's not true. So maybe this step for you, if you're not a member, is to take that step and formally say, yeah, I belong to this people. I belong to the people of God. Number three here, a third possible step is to join a small group to live out biblical community. We strongly encourage small group ministry here. This is our primary vehicle for for community, for discipleship, for being known and being cared for. And so this is a great next step to belong to a group of people. And yet there are other ways to belong in community here. Even outside of small group ministry, we have a once-a-month prayer and worship night as a church where we gather together and we pray together, we worship God together, and it's a great opportunity to, to get to know other people, to belong to a group of people and, and pray together, and then go out to ice cream afterwards or grab dinner afterwards and, and connect with other people. It's a great opportunity to build that type of community. Now, number four here is, is to take the initiative that for those of you who feel lonely or you feel like you don't quite belong here, even though you come here every week, I, I just want to encourage you not to wait for other people to come to you, but for you to take the first step. That if you're struggling with loneliness and, and having a, a sense of belonging here, don't allow the enemy to whisper in your ear the woe is me mentality. Don't allow him to, to, to speak to you and say that, man, no one likes you, you don't belong here, but, but actually to take the initiative and, and start building friendships with people in the church. 
Ask someone out for coffee. Ask someone out for, for lunch. Have someone over for, for dinner to better connect and better get to know people connecting on that spiritual and that soul level. So take the initiative. And then number five here, last thing, is to think quality over quantity. That the answer to our loneliness, as I've said before, is not adding more people into your life, but it's going deeper in the existing relationships that you have. It's connecting at that soul level. So don't settle for for having superficial friendships based on what you have uh, in common, based on your life stage, but go deeper with the people that you have in your life. And so as we close here, what, what is your next step today? What's your next step in in belonging more to this church and creating an environment where people can belong? See, each and every one of us has a responsibility to make sure that we're we're creating a type of environment where people are welcomed here. Like, we don't want to be the type of church that feels like Lowe's, where you kind of walk in, you get what you need, you don't talk to anybody, and then you quickly walk out. That's not our vision for this church. But our vision for this church is, is Taco Tuesdays at your parents' house. And, and there's a seat for everybody. Like, like there's a seat for the table and you linger and, and, and you're accepted and you're welcomed here and there's good food there. Like that's, that's our vision for this church is that people belong and people are known and people are cared for. And the responsibility of creating that falls on each of us. So, so what is your next step today? God, we thank you that your church is a beautiful mess. God, we thank you that we can acknowledge that, Lord, that we are a room full of sinners who've been saved by you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would continue to create uh, a type of environment here at College Park Fishers where people belong, where people are welcomed, where people have a, have a place to do life. God, I pray that we would not create an atmosphere where people hide. God, help us to not create an environment where people can slip in and slip out. But God, help us to be the church where we belong to one another because we belong to you. So God, teach us more of what that means, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.